Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. I want to go straight to uh, the idea that to enter into the spirit of it, um, we've covered some. We've covered a certain amount of material here that's really good, and the the real key to doing this is to ask yourself what is the position in which you're doing this. So, what does that mean? Well, if we talked about. Um, the spirit of something and then the mechanism of something or the system of something. Now let's ask ourselves, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as spirit being the cause or do you see yourself as the mechanism in which spirit has caused? In other words, you're secondary in the idea of causation. Most people are ineffective in life Uh, and really do not grasp the entire power of their creative ability because they see themselves as secondary. They see themselves as a thing in a world of things. They are powerless to the power of the way things are. Therefore, they cannot change much in their life. They really have to succumb to uh, the rules of man, the rules in the way things have been created, and the limits based on those rules. So the first thing that we need to change here is we need to change the position in which we see ourselves. We need to see ourselves as the creator. We need to see ourselves as a first cause. Now, there's a wonderful author by the name of Genevieve Berend who wrote Your Invisible Power, The Mental Science of Thomas Troward. Um, she was Thomas Troward's only student, and Thomas Troward is the, the essay in which that I've been reading to you from called Entering into the Spirit of It, which is a little complicated, I agree, but we're, this, is, this is about mastering things. So we're getting into a little bit uh, deeper knowledge, and we're going to continue to do so uh, through the rest of this course. The first part of it is really based on foundational teaching, which is necessary then to move into uh, some deeper study. So here's what Genevieve Biren said about your invisible power, uh, which is an offshoot of, of Troward's entering into the spirit of it. She says, when your understanding grasps the power to visualize your heart's desire and holds it with your will, It attracts to you all things requisite to the fulfillment of the picture by the harmonious vibrations of the law of attraction. You realize that since order is heaven's first law and visualization places things in their natural order, it must be a heavenly thing to visualize. Now, I I have, um, in all the years that I've been teaching, it's not that I'm not a fan of the law of attraction. I, I get it. I understand it. Uh, I believe in it to a certain extent. Um, I'm more into the idea of the law of manifestation because attraction means that something is not yet in your life. And we know if we get into these deeper studies that that's not actually true. So 
You could either use the law of manifestation or the law of attraction. It does not matter to me which one you use. I choose the law of manifestation. Uh, B-Rend here is talking about the law of attraction. I choose to say that it's already here. We just don't see it. Uh, we don't have to attract anything. It's already here. Everything is here. Everything is right now. So then we move into um, what Troward is talking about in entering into the spirit of it. We have to think to ourselves that if the thing is here and it's here right now, how do we shift our position so that we are the creator. Well, I'm going to go to Russell's work in a book called You Two Can Be Prosperous, where he, quote, where he works with Emmett Fox, and he says, the word is creative. He says, as, as, as Fox says, and the strongest and most creative word is I am. He says, wherever you say I am, you are calling upon the universe to do something for you, and it will do it. Whenever you say, I am, you're drawing a check upon the universe. It will be honored and cashed sooner or later, and the proceeds will go to you. If you say, I am tired, sick, poor, fed up, disappointed, getting old, then you're drawing checks for future trouble and limitation. When you say, I am divine life, I am divine truth, I am divine freedom, I am divine substance, I am eternal substance, you are drawing a check on the bank of heaven, and surely that check will be honored with health and plenty for you. Now, I am, if he, he makes such a great point here, everything that we experience is basically an I am experience. People will say, I am broke, I am in debt, I am sick, I don't have a good job, I do have a good job. It's always I first, and then they're referring to the actual experience that they're having. Well, when we talk about Troward's work of entering into the spirit of anything, we're talking about are we going to enter into the positive spirit, the spirit of growth, the spirit of abundance, the spirit of more, the spirit of conquering, the spirit of winning, the spirit of um, wealth, um, the spirit of opportunity, or are we going to enter into a lack spirit where that spirit says that my reality, the current reality that I have, is the predominating spirit, meaning I don't have enough, I don't know if I'll ever have enough, I'm not confident, I'm sick, I'm broke, I'm poor, I'm poor in relationship, I'm poor in bank account, I'm poor in business, uh, because that is also a spirit, but that is a downward um, uh, heading spirit and not an upward heading spirit. I think that all struggles in life really come from the initial idea of what position do we see ourselves in. Do we see ourselves in the position of experiencing life as something that is happening to us or around us, or do we see ourselves in a position of creating the actual life that we want? If I go back to a couple other pieces of literature here, if I go back to Napoleon Hill's work where he talked about um, some various, uh, some things that are, are, are 
really very interesting here. He says, first of all, that there's a spirit in the book. There's a spirit. There's a secret in his book. He says, a peculiar thing about the secret is those who once acquire it and use it find themselves literally swept onto success, but with little effort, and they never again submit to failure. He says, if you doubt this, study the names who have used it. Wherever they have been mentioned, check their records for yourself, and you'll be convinced. He also says, the secret to which I refer cannot be had without a price, although the price is far less than its value. It cannot be had at any price by those who are not intentionally searching for it. It cannot be given away. It cannot be purchased for money for the reason that it comes in two parts. One part is already in the possession of those who are ready for it. Well, we know after studying the book um, and uh, through various people that really the secret is desire. It is do you want something bad enough? That's the secret. Bad enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes. Now, when we hear, are you willing to do whatever it takes, we have to understand that what that really means is, are we willing to change? Are we willing to give up our rigid ideas uh, in order to acquire what it is that we want? Now, let me go back here to something that I read in the last lesson and go through this with you again. He says, every fact implies also it's negative, and we never properly understand a thing until we not only know what it is, but clearly what it is not. Well, let's think about our life for a moment. If we are coming from the place where we are, our value in life is coming from the secondary position, then almost every intention that we have, believe it or not, is about survival. It is about uh, staying certain. It is about staying safe. It is about really thinking for the safety of our future. And it causes a great, a great amount of anxiety for a person in the here and now because they don't really believe that they have control over anything. They think this is life. But as what Troward's saying, we have to clearly understand what it is and what it is not. While we may think that it's bringing life to ourselves in the moment, in fact, it is actually robbing us of our life. So we're not entering into the spirit of expansion. We're, ending, we're entering into a spirit of certainty, a spirit that keeps us right where we are. He says, to enter into the spirit of anything then is to make yourself one in thought with the creative principle that is at the center of it, which is expansion. It means for more life. And therefore, why not go to the center of all things at once and enter into the spirit of life? Then he says, do you ask where to find it? The answer is in yourself. And in proportion, as you find it there, you will find it everywhere else. Now think about that. When we find the spirit of more life in ourself, in other words, to expand ourselves, to expand our world, we will then see it in everything else. Now, here's where I'm going to go to another piece of work again. I'm going to go back to Napoleon Hill. 
because I want to point out something that he said that is just, again, one of these things that is just rich with an incredible um, amount of truth. In the introduction in Think and Grow Rich, he talks about a, a man named Barnes, and he says, when opportunity came, it appeared in a different form and from a different direction than Barnes had expected. Then he goes on to say that that is one of the tricks of opportunity. It has the sly habit of slipping in the back door, and often it comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. He says, perhaps this is why so many people fail to recognize opportunity. Well, let's think about what he's saying here. Opportunity cannot disguise itself. So if opportunity cannot disguise itself, how could it appear, how could it come to us uh, being disguised? It can't. This means that we're disguising it. We're the one that's having trouble seeing what the opportunity is suggesting. All opportunity has with it a spirit that will either take us more into the life that we want or it will restrict us. You first find it by changing what's going on in yourself and by changing the position in which you think you are taking up space in this universe. Look at life as one thing that is, whether in you or around you, try to realize the livingness of it and then seek to enter into the spirit of it by affirming it to be the whole of what you are. In other words, your life. But he says the whole of what you are. Now think for a moment. God created everything as a whole. There's no part of this, part of that, half of this, half of that. Everything is created as a whole. We only see parts based on our perception. We have, we have the ability to perceive parts of something. But if we, if we live in the part that we perceive, then that part becomes our entire existence. It becomes our reality. It becomes our truth. It also becomes the rules in which we live by. It has the limitations in which we live. It says what we can do. It says what we can't do. Look at life as one thing that just is, whether in you or around you. Try to realize the livingness of it and then seek to enter into the spirit of it by affirming it to be the whole of what you are. Think about for a moment what you don't have, the thing that you want to change, the thing that you wish that you had. You have to realize that that is focusing on the part that you don't have, the part that you don't want. Ask yourself, what do you want? Now you're opening up the other side. You're completely shifting from the side that may be the, the totality of your experience, the, uh, the limiting spirit in which that presents itself, and then moving clearly over all the way to the other side and allowing yourself to see in your mind to visualize, like Genevieve Biren said, which places things in their natural order, the thing that you want. That must also be in existence simultaneously. But do you affirm that? Do you affirm that that's true? 
Do you try to live in the livingness of the spirit of that? He says, affirm this continually in your thoughts. By degrees, the affirmation will grow into a real living force within you so that it will become second nature to you and you will find it impossible and unnatural to think in any other way. And the nearer that you approach the point, the greater that you will find control over both body and circumstances. Until at last, you shall so enter into the spirit of it, into the spirit of the divine creative power, which is the root of all things, that in the words of Christ, nothing shall be impossible to you because you have so entered into the spirit of it that you discover yourself to be one with it. In other words, you become the I am. How do you become the creative I am? By entering into the spirit of it. But you have to consciously choose to change your position and then actually become the energy behind it. He said, then all the old limitations will have passed away. All of them. And you will be living in an entirely new world of life, liberty, and love, of which you yourself are the radiating center. You will realize the truth that your thought is a limitless creative power and that you yourself are behind your thought. Now, I want to go back to the book, You Too Can Be Prosperous. I have taught this part um, in many, many um, uh, training seminars around sales from a spiritual perspective. I just want you to read, read this to you, and I want you to think about the power of this if you're in a position of the I am, if you're changing your position. He says, there are many lessons in these parables. The most important one is the virtue of importunity. Despite God's love, benefice, and compassion, he will not be moved by weak and half-hearted demands. So again, um, if God doesn't work for you, just put universe in there. The power is there. St. Paul pointed out in the closing of one of the epistles to the Ephesians, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. But the power must be invoked by persistency, by seeking, and by wholehearted demands. In other words, are you in the spirit of it? That's what he's saying. He said, Christ commanded us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Then he asks a question, do you give up easily? He says, then change your ways. Give him, meaning God or the universe, no rest. Now, when he says that, why would he say that? Why would he say, give him, and in the book it's actually capitalized, so he means God, give him no rest? Because the promise of abundance is ours. The promise of living that life in the Spirit and all the greatness that comes with it belongs to us. We have the power to choose whether we're going to create that 
or we're going to create lack. So then he goes on to say this. He says, do you give up easily? Then change your ways. Give him no rest until he, being God or the universe, establishes what you desire. Keep on keeping on. He says, make your claim and press it. Work until every no becomes a yes. If you fail today, start all over again tomorrow. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now, what's the truth? Most people get tired. This is what he means by faint not. Most people get tired. Most people quit. Ah, it didn't work yesterday. I don't feel very well today. Everybody's going to say no. And they quit. They actually shift and enter into the spirit of failure. They enter into the spirit of procrastination. They enter into the spirit of other people's beliefs. They enter into the spirit of reality. And then they stay stuck. They can't get out of their own way. When they don't realize that if they change their position to the great I am, and they put their spirit into the livingness of what it is that they want, and they press it. He says, make your claim and press it. Work until every no becomes a yes. If you fail today, start all over again tomorrow. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not, if we tire not, if we are persistent. He says, the parables do not teach that God is reluctant to give us what we ask. They do show, however, that he responds only to the affirmative and the persistent attitude of mind. It is the story of Jacob wrestling the angel. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. I will not let the idea go until it blesses me, until it manifests. It's the story of Paul praying over the thorn in the flesh. It's a story of Christ in the garden, his sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down, down upon the ground. So, entering into the spirit of it takes everything that we have, all the life in us, he said, and then Troward says, then all the old limitations will have passed away. And you will be living in an entirely new world of life, liberty, and love, of which you yourself are the radiating center. You will realize the truth that your thought is a limitless creative power, and that you yourself are behind your thought. You are the I am behind the thought, controlling and directing it with knowledge. Now, Here's something interesting. In Troward's work, he capitalizes the word knowledge, meaning that it has power. It is a real, living, personable thing. He says, for any purpose which love motivates, which, which love motives and wisdom planes, thus you will cease from your labors, your struggles, and anxieties and enter into a new order where perfect rest is one with ceaseless activity. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, there's the fluidity again in, the, in a little, uh, what he was talking about earlier in the, in, the, in the lesson. He says, to be fluid, and so by uniting these two extremes to produce any result that we may desire. 
he brings it back around and caps it by saying, thus you will cease from your labors, your struggles and anxieties, and enter into a new order where perfect rest, in other words, you're at perfect rest, you worry not, you doubt not, your anxiety not, is one with ceaseless activity. Because you're at rest, you're moving at a thousand miles an hour to gain what it is that you desire because you will not be bent, right? You will not change. If we go all the way back to the very beginning of the lesson, he says every fact implies also it's negative and we never properly understand a thing until we not only know what it is, but also clearly understand what is not. So, if we are anxious, if we are in doubt, if we are worry, if we are letting our eyes and our perception be controlled by what it is that we're perceiving in our world, if opportunity uh, is not being seen by us because it seems to be coming by um, some form of disguise, then we are moving into what it is not. It is not saying don't do it. It is not saying don't take a risk. It is not saying that people won't say yes. It is not saying people won't buy. It's not saying that you can't have a great relationship or great health or a wonderful life. We're not understanding what it is. We're seeing ourself as a thing in a world of things. We're not positioning ourselves as the great I am in the complete understanding that we are one with the universe, that is not just a, uh, an, an esoteric maxim that uh, is fun to believe in. It's a real truth um, that we can live with, that we can work with, that we can actually use. If we do not enter into the spirit of a thing, it has no invigorating effect on us. So it drains us of our energy. Think of yourself like a battery. When a battery is drained of all of its energy, what do we say? The battery is dead. So we are just like the battery. If we are drained of all of our spiritual energy, of our enthusiasm, of our excitement, of the position of I am, then we're dead. We're dead to our works. We're dead to the thing that we do. We do not have the spirit of life within the practices of the disciplines that we're doing every single day. So our works are dead. Our deeds are dead. They bring forth no fruit. They establish no foundation. There's absolutely nothing moving forward. Everything comes to a stop. We are the ones that have to be responsible for re-energizing our own battery, in, invigorating ourselves and entering into the spirit of it. Our everyday experience needs to be what is the spirit of the thing? How can I be one with the spirit of the thing? I am the creator. I am the chooser of my experience. To enter into the spirit of anything then is to make yourself one in thought with the creative principle that is at the center of it. To make yourself one in thought. In other words, you're not of a divided mind. What does is, what is the, the, the old truth say? A house divided against itself can't stand. So if we are in, in, in division in our mind, we're in fear or we're in doubt, but we want plenty, we're not in the spirit of the thing. We're not one with the creative principle that is at the center of it. And therefore, 
We don't understand what the creative center is. So we need to go to the creative center, which is the spirit of life, which is in our self. Thus you will cease from your labors, your struggles and anxieties, and you'll enter into a new order where perfect rest is one with ceaseless activity. The abundance of life will come to you in a ready supply. It will never stop. It will never go away. You will never be without. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.